is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Yes, good afternoon to you. Warwick Long back for another week of the Country Hour and the clean-up has been on for many after the fires have ripped through lots of farm land in central Victoria. But at the same time, the threat of fire is still very real and we'll cross to that area and find out what are some of the difficulties facing farmers in that area and, and what is being worked on right now. Also today on the Country Hour, we'll hear about a black frost event and what it meant for one horticulture producer and we'll also cross to the Victorian Farmers Federation Grains Conference. Now we know the VFS has it had its own internal difficulties. Is that fair enough to say? We'll find out if things are friendly at the Grains Conference today. So up next, though, we'll go to the fire ground. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Yeah, authorities have spent the weekend continuing the fight against that now nearly 20,000 hectare blaze north of Beaufort in central Victoria. They're watching act messages are still current for a lot of those areas, including Amphitheatre, Bayandine, Chute, Elmshurst, Glenlogie, Mount Cole, Mount Lonark, Raglan. Uh, there's another for Mainlead and Waterloo as well. Uh, those updates will continue on ABC Radio. And if anything changes, we'll update you uh, as it happens right here on the station you're listening to right now. But for farmers in the area, the cleanup for some is beginning, whilst for others, the threat of fire still remains. So what work is being done? James Kirkpatrick from Beaufort's on the line. We chatted to James on Friday, who was out surveying the damage with Agriculture Victoria staff about some of the sheep that already had to be destroyed and about some of the damage to homes and infrastructure as well. I can join you again on the program now. Welcome back, James. What can you tell us? Well, Warwick, uh, it's still a... Uh, the farmers in that southern flank that we're dealing with ragging up to Warwick that the fire started. They're sort of in, they're in recovery mode. They've got trying to assess boundary fences to get them set up. We've, had, we've got hay into those areas we're allowed to get in and we've got about... Uh, four semis and two B-doubles we can move in when we can and we're waiting for all clear for from the emergency service to where we can set up a depot for hay. We have got a spot earmarked, but they will not give us the all clear before Wednesday because the way that fire behaved on Friday, if it repeats it on Wednesday, we would not have a, the hay would be all gone, but it would burn. Yeah, and, uh, it's a bit of a bit of protection measure. You don't want to bring all the dry fuel in to an area that could have a bad fire day. Right, and then the DPI staff have been in here because when I talked to you on Friday, we were assessing livestock and they're getting on top of that. And most of the sheep that have been destroyed have been removed to appropriate areas or will be buried on site today. EPA have given the all clear. Some they had to move away to be buried and the rest will be done on the farms today. What, what sort of numbers are we talking about in terms of livestock deaths to your knowledge? Well, at the moment, we're like around 170 sheep, and a, and uh, some farmers uh, that have joined the, the state parks are still rounding up a few. So I don't think there'll be many more losses. But in, in most of the concerned mobs we talked about on Friday, they have been accounted for. So, uh, it, but on the north front, it's still in the fo- in the forest. If uh, we get a fo- the wind change comes through on the Wednesday. That north area amphitheatre across to Voke and back to Elmhurst is very well in the firing line still. And, and there's a, we were talking earlier, there's, there's a lot of pine plantation type sort of country out there where, as well, which, you know, is a different part of, of primary production affected though, but, but still, uh, still a, a cost and concerning all the same. 
Yes, like I, I know that area reasonably well, but we haven't got access because that road is closed at uh, Raglan, Mount Lonick, Amphitheatre Road. It's a real hot spot. Just south of Mount Lonick and the town, that there's natural bush and a lot of pine plantations. I don't know. They're in there, but I don't know what the extent of the damage, but it must be a fair bit of burnt because we're up to nearly, what, uh, 19,000 hectares of bush and state parks. That, that's the amazing thing, James, isn't it? We're, we're nearly 20,000 hectares of uh, of land burnt and only really 170 sheep killed at the moment. Is, I suppose, does that show um, the good work in terms of preparation from a lot of farmers in that area? Yes, and secondly, a lot of farmers know, knew straight away and very early was, they were up there moving stock when the fire was given about 10.30. They were up there at 11, 11.30 moving stock. And most of them, like as the, I said earlier, the fire behaviour pattern was enough bare ground for the sheep to be on. But a lot of farmers got onto bare paddocks or green patches. And uh, the fire, the behaviour of the fire helped a bit. It didn't follow a northwesterly wind in a southeasterly, heading in a southeasterly direction. It sort of uh, chopped all over the shop and swung back into a northeasterly direction. That protected a lot of farmland. It was a weird one. And, uh, and James, um, just in terms of the, the other losses too, sheds, Boundary fencing, a lot of internal fencing as well. Farm equipment, we're starting to see photos of that. There, there's some extensive damage there. Yeah, there's quite a lot. There's, uh, because a lot of the farmers out there got land in three or four lots, there's quite a lot of few little crutching sheds gone up. Some have lost their main shearing shed and machinery sheds. A lot of the hobby farmers and lifestyles, they've lost more staples, lost their machinery sheds with their little tractor and uh, ATV or motorbikes and all that sort of thing. So it's, it's adding up. And as they come back, they start to assess that damage. But if they come back, they're, uh, the road is still closed and they've basically got to stay there. That it, That's the tricky thing, isn't it? There, there's still a lot of areas shut down. There's still clean-up going on in other areas, active firefighting going on in, in other areas, and there's a bad day of weather coming in a couple of days. Yes, and it makes it frustrating. As I said earlier, we've got this hay available, but we haven't been given the all clear to go in. And luckily, when some roads were open, we did get some hay in there. Well, some people were lucky enough to have a couple of spare bales, but a lot of people got their horses out early on adjustment, which is good, and we've got six people on the books that could uh, just quite a lot of horses. So we're prepared if Wednesday becomes an issue again. And, and so I suppose what are the things that you step through from here? It's it's getting that hay in when you can. It's working out yeah. adjustment for stock when you can. Is that the main goals from here? Yeah, at the moment, we're, well, we're right to go. As I said, we've got the we've got the place, the depot set up. It's just getting all clear. We can have loads in there in, in three hours, a couple of front end loaded tractors once we've got all clear. We're starting to list of people that do need hay. So we go getting hay from friends, but that hay can only last a little while because if you've got a completely burnt place, you'll be feeding stock for a while unless you get some adjustment. Brilliant. James, is there anything else that you think people need to know about the situation there? No, no, I just think that um, I reckon both the uh, both the ABC and the emergency service apps have been good sites to go to. The only trouble was when the um, power went down, we had no communications for most Thursday to Friday, and it's frustrating this modern year of technology that people rely on these communications when they go out, when that loss. And so, but the other thing is, the Shire did a really good job having that community meeting yesterday on Sunday afternoon, three days after the fire, and to get all the response and the uh, recovery agencies to give a bit of spill for a couple of minutes was, was really good. And I think a lot of people are satisfied because sometimes it can be five, seven days before we get that sort of thing happening. 
So true, so true. James Kirkpatrick, once again, thank you for taking us there and telling us what the situation is and what's to come from here. Catch up again, Sam. Uh, it's James Kirkpatrick speaking to you on the line about the situation there. Again, the phone lines have not been brilliant to that part of the world, but we make do with what we can, especially when it is a difficult fire period. Uh, I reckon you got the large gist of it there anyway. 170 sheep uh, have been euthanized and or killed in the fire and a lot of sheds and infrastructure uh, that has been destroyed and those numbers will go up as uh, more uh, assessments of what's been done and what's been damaged uh, are done and those fires continue to burn. With bad weather coming up on Wednesday, as you've heard, weather report coming up on this program in just under half an hour's time. If you have any questions to do with the weather... you. I'm not the font of all knowledge, believe it or not. Can't always ask the best question you need to hear the answer to on your behalf. So if you want me to ask something, you can send a text now, 0467 842 722. I'll get that and I'll put that to the Bureau on your behalf. Let's bring in Sally Watson, who has a vineyard and farm stay at Mount Cole. We heard from Sally Watson on uh, Friday's Country Hour and it was a difficult time. Had left the property, evacuated the property and we didn't know how things were at that stage. And we can welcome Sally back to the program now. Hi, Sally. Welcome back to the Country Hour. Hi. Hi. Thank you. I'm nervous when I ask this. How did your place fare? What's it look like today? Um, it's uh, we, We're very lucky. We still have our house and the garden, which is a little green oasis. And like all around us is just black and pretty much total devastation. Dead trees, dead kangaroos, dead deer. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty devastated the forest we back right onto the um forest our boundaries the forest of mount cole and then we have mount Lonark at the front of us so it kind of went right over and through us yeah no. but um yeah, the house is still there which so yeah i was about to say you've got the house you've got a green garden by the sounds of it and we then have, it's just goodness. black around you yeah it's just yeah walking through the paddocks and it's just oh yeah, it's devastating actually it's and each day we go out and it sort of hits you again it's really quite daunting yeah just to see it you know it's because it was absolutely beautiful it was yeah it was a little paradise and, and it's just yeah it's terrible to look at it now so when did and you get back yeah uh, we stayed last night yeah which it was quite smoky yeah when we went to bed yeah and um, it was a bit hard to sleep but um yeah and then this morning when we woke up there was a really really light shower which was really bizarre yes so but now it's warming up again so and, yeah and the vineyard how did that fit uh yeah well probably half of the vineyard was um, burnt out yeah the fire sort of come yeah just sort of surrounded us really right right round and come into the vineyard burnt half the vineyard and then just started to come into the garden at the back of the house. But we actually, we had a fire truck that had broken down here and um, they stayed and they went into our shed and got our generator and got some water going and, and there was hoses everywhere. So <laughs> while they were stuck here, I think they probably saved a, a lot out the back as well, sheds and things, So, which was really great. That's absolutely incredible. So a fire truck broke down, but essentially you had a fire crew at your place saving it. Yes. Well, this is all secondhand knowledge from our neighbour, but it's it's pretty good knowledge, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, which it sort of benefited them and us, which, yeah, worked out well. I'd love to know who they were, actually, because I'd really like to thank them. But, yeah. Yeah, they've done an amazing job. And I, I'm pretty sure we were waterbombed quite a few times, which probably saved the house as well. 
Yeah, uh, I bet. I yeah. bet. And the, and the vineyard itself, when you say half of it's damaged, I I don't know how well uh, vines respond to fire. So yeah. does that mean they're gone now and you have to well, replant? I'm not really sure. I suppose it, it depends how badly burnt they are. Well, it's probably just all a wait and see. I'm sure all the leaves will drop off and then hopefully, you know, springtime, hopefully they'll shoot. But, yeah, it, it's pretty much a wait and see, and especially with all the gum trees in the paddocks as well. We've got some beautiful gum trees that are hundreds of years old and hopefully they'll survive because, you know, they're hollow on the inside and the fires burn up through the middle. You think they're okay and then, yeah, they come crashing down and you lose those as well. So, yeah, and our neighbours, you know, all around us is just burnt out, yeah. And that is such a good warning to anybody who's ever been on a fire ground too. Trees can fall at such a later time because you don't know what's burning inside. And they burn for such a long time as well, and even down into the roots as well. So, and there's so much heat in the ground. I threw some water on the ground yesterday, and it just hissed up back at me. That the ground is just boiling hot, even though it, you know the fire's gone over for a day or so. It's just incredible the heat. And you're you're still in the mode of trying to assess what's happened and what's going on. So yeah. it feels rude for me to ask this, Sally. But do you know what this means for the for the farm stay business as well? Because do, yeah. do people do you have bookings that you have to hastily rearrange? How does that work? Yeah, well, yeah, we're a bit worried about that. Actually, we've had to cancel four bookings because you know uh, there's no access into this area. The roads are all blocked. You can't really get in. So we've. Yeah, we've cancelled four and then um, there's uh, a lot of guests we'll have to contact and just say, you know, you can, you're welcome to come and stay. The house is beautiful but, you know, it's just your view that's <laughs> changed dramatically. So I, I'm not sure whether people will cancel or, or it's just all unknown at this point in time. So, And we've got a lot of irrigation and fencing to fix as well. So, yeah, the future is just really uncertain. I just hope people will like to come and stay for the experience i don't know but yeah it'd be good if they could still support us oh yeah i I bet and how are your neighbors faring Uh, how does it look around the area yeah well uh we've got a a farm fairly large farm on one side and uh they've lost a, a lot of um like right next to us they've lost a lot of um land and feed and trees and yeah, and they're still, you know, a little bit nervous because they've also got land on the Mount Monarch side as well. So, and they've shifted a lot of sheep. I don't think they've lost any sheep. Our other neighbours further down have lost cattle, and then our neighbours on the left-hand side of us, there, Cape Hill Creek, they've um, they have a camp there, and they're even more into the bush than what we are. And yet, their house and their camp was all um, saved as well. So, we're we're all pretty lucky, very lucky. But I, I think thanks to you know, the fire service and the water bombing, people still have their homes. Yeah, uh, and it is so indiscriminate in where fire moves and how it works, oh, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to even try and understand sometimes. And, and exactly. before before we let you go, Sally, too, you mentioned something early when you were telling us what it looks like, and that was you, you noticed dead deer and, and wildlife around. Is that something that you can see? Yeah, yeah, we went for a walk through our paddocks uh, and, yeah, they're – there's, yeah, dead deer and kangaroos and, yeah, it's like, yeah. And then last night we were sitting inside and this little tiny little baby wallaby it jumped into our window and was trying to actually come into the house, which was really bizarre. I suppose it was just so stressed it didn't know what it was doing, but it was a real little little baby, which is really sad, you know. And all, all the, the half-mature kangaroos are just sort of standing around in the paddock half-dazed and, 
yeah, all looking very scared. So, yeah, it's a, it's a horrible time for the what wildlife is left. Yeah, gosh, gosh. Oh, well, thank you for taking the time to tell us how you're going. We are very happy to hear that you uh, that your home was saved, even though it sounds like it was in amazing circumstances, which I hope the I CFA so. team can tell you more about in the future. Yeah, I hope so too. I'd really like to know. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for, good, for that. Good it's luck really with the clean-up, Sally. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sally Watson there runs a vineyard and farm stay at Mount Cole. We heard from her on Friday, also heard from her today. Little green garden and house look okay, but a lot of damage around it and a lot of damage in the district as well. As you you hear about this, this is what you're going to hear more of as uh, more access happens and that's when the assistants can start to get in with things like feed for livestock and uh, from other authorities as well. When we hear more, we'll tell you more as well. 1300 977 222 is the number you can use to call me though if you want to tell me how things are looking where you are. 1300 977 You can text 20467 842 We'll move away from fire right now and talk about, well, other disaster really as well. We'll go to northeast of Victoria to small town of Stanley uh, near Beechworth there. A Stanley orchardist says he'll lose his entire chestnut crop this year and 90% of his apple crop after being hit by what he's describing as a black frost last October. Black frosts occur when sub-zero temperatures and low humidity stop white ice crystals from forming, instead freezing plants from the inside. Uh, Peter Chamberon from Europa Gully Orchards says he's bracing for a total loss this season. The blossom was looking good for the start of the year and Late October, unfortunately, we had a late frost. Um, we think it may have been a black, what we call a black frost, and it uh, just destroyed virtually the whole crop. Uh, with our cherry crop, we were down to about a quarter. Our apples were only probably got 10% of our apples, which we normally have. The chestnut crop is completely wiped out, so... Um, I'm probably the, the worst hit in Stanley because our orchard is a lot lower than other people. And uh, unfortunately, the time of the frost, I was uh, laid up in hospital and uh, normally we would work on them all night by spraying with water and uh, perhaps lighting up a few heaps of old prunes, put a smoke across, so that didn't happen and we paid the price. Is labour an issue? Like you didn't have other staff to kind of look after? Um, no, I didn't actually. No, and you couldn't expect someone to be working all night uh, on a spray pump. Um, some of the other growers are, are quite lucky. They've got overhead sprinklers. We haven't got the water for that. But what we do, do is we drive up and down the rows with our air blast spray pump. We can put about 1,500 litres out in 20 minutes. Uh, and we actually form an ice. When the fruit gets damaged, it's minus two or colder. So by spraying water on or having overhead sprinklers, you actually form an ice on the trees. It's called latent heat. And you can hold the trees at zero instead of getting down to minus two. Um, but it seems funny, you know, that you're putting ice on them. The trees are completely iced up when they're finished. But as I said, it won't allow it to go to, to that minus two. It'll hold at zero, which will protect the fruit. And so you don't have enough this year in terms of your apple crop to open up to the public. So what does that mean for, for your farm and your business? Uh, oh, look, it's a total loss this year for us. Uh, we won't even cover costs. Um, we, we'll, hold, we'll pick a few fruit, bit of fruit for uh, farmers markets and that type of thing. But uh, 
Yeah, it's a loss for us, and it's a lot for the community too because we attract a lot of people here, you know, over a weekend um, to pick their own fruit. And because we attract people here, they also would stop in Beechworth or have a cup of coffee or whatever, so that's going to not help. Even though you'll only have 10% of your normal crop this year, you still are having to keep your fungicide spray program oh, going. We have to keep our whole program going, whether it's a codlin moth or anything. And you're still, you know, you're still pouring that money into um, perhaps the healthier trees. Yes. So, um, otherwise, it's not fair on other growers if we just walk away and perhaps breed but, uh, pests and whatever we have here. So... Are there other ways you can cover your, your costs? How are you moving forward, given you're going to suffer oh, this we've loss? Cut, we've cut down our costs a little bit, like our orchard's fairly untidy. It's not mowed or anything at the moment. We usually have it tidy, so there are things we don't do. Um, we just keep our spray program up and let the rest uh, just go by. Black frost, really interesting concept and term and sounds really devastating too. That's Peter Chamberon from Europa Gully Orchards in Stanley, which is near Beechworth, speaking with Faith Tabaluyan there. You're listening to The Country Hour. Coming up to rural news, just before we get there, we've got an update on the anthrax situation. Remember that before the last run of disasters that were faced in Victoria. There was an outbreak of anthrax on two properties, two neighbouring properties northeast of Shepparton. We had the initial report of five or six animals uh, dying of anthrax there and then uh, another report of a couple of animals dying next door on the neighbouring property. It led to a large-scale vaccination program on those properties and around those properties as well to anthrax, uh, which is a bacterial disease that can breed rapidly within livestock once they've ingested it and then once they die can spread from those carcasses. That's why authorities have to move in quickly and that's why they incinerate the uh, the dead livestock in that response. Agriculture Victoria says they're continuing to vac- vaccinate livestock at properties in the Shepparton region, region following the detection of anthrax on those two farms. They're saying almost 6,000 cattle and sheep have now been vaccinated as part of that response so far with private vets working alongside members of Ag- Agriculture Victoria's animal health team and that no further cases of anthrax have been detected. That's the good news that's coming out of that. No further cases from those two properties, 6,000 cattle and sheep that have been vaccinated now in that region northeast of Shepparton. Uh, there are still uh, calls from those authorities that if you have any unexplained deaths where anthrax is uh, suspected, you can report that to the 24-hour emergency animal disease hotline, which is one 675 That's one 675 the emergency animal disease hotline. Uh, you can always call uh, Agriculture Victoria on that other line they have too, which is one eight one three six one eight six one three six one eight six. And if you're not getting any of those numbers in time, you can always just send us a text here at the Country Hour. Happy to reply to that. We can do that through our service here. So if you need a number or if you didn't quite hear it right, send us a text zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. People will tell you I read that number out quite a lot on this here program. <laughs> so if you miss it once, just keep listening. I'm sure you'll hear it again. Um, speaking of the text line and our talk earlier about how some trees burn for a long time up and underneath them, 
uh, after fires, which is why falling trees and falling limbs is such a concern on fire grounds. Uh, this text says, many years ago, after we had a fire, we discovered a small puff of smoke coming out of the ground in a corner of a paddock adjoining a forest. It had been three months since the tree was totally burnt. The roots can burn for a long time and come out uh, when you least expect. Thank you very much for that text. Anonymous texts are important information you're providing there as well. Let's head to rural news for, the, for some more important information and some of it quite international Today on the Rural News Bulletin, Emma Field can tell you more. Hi, Emma. G'day, Warwick. It's been another wild weekend of farmer protests in Europe. In Greece, thousands of farmers with their tractors blockaded the Greek parliament with signs like, without us, you don't eat. Protesters are complaining about large increases in costs on things like fuels and chemicals, plus more onerous regulations from governments. A large march took place in Athens. Farmer protests also took place in Italy, Poland, Belgium and the Netherlands. And meanwhile in France, upon hearing President Emmanuel Macron was attending an agri-trade fair event, Farmers tried to take their protests to him, resulting in clashes with security. Back home now, Farm North Queensland farmers are facing a raft of challenges and a big bill to clean up from tropical cyclone Jasper, more than two months after the weather event. Cattle producer Ben Morley from Bloomfield near the Daintree Rainforest has spent the last two months cleaning up his paddocks from of mud, fallen trees, rocks and debris that washed in from floods in December. He says it will cost a fortune to get his farm back to pre-Jasper production levels and to put in place better protection for the environment. I anticipate that it's going to run very close to $2 million worth of damage, plus loss of production. The biggest, the biggest um, hurdle that we're going to face is regenerating those pastures. It's going to take a lot of work. Um, it's not just a matter of putting seed in. You know, you've got to prep prep the ground and um, there'll be a couple of different spray applications and then, you know, seeding and then obviously keeping the cattle out of it and, you know, six to 12 months to get those pastures back up to where they were. So that's going to be the biggest hurdle. Uh, It's going to be the biggest cost. If we don't do it, every time it rains, that sediment will wash into the creek and then it's just going to be, you know, run off onto the reef, which we've always tried tried to avoid. So that's, that's our biggest goal and I think will be our biggest hurdle. Over to Western Australia now, where an 86-year-old Narigen livestock producer has been fined $34,000 and ordered to pay $7,500 in legal costs after pleading guilty to four counts of animal cruelty in the Narigen Magistrates Court 
this week. In 2021, inspectors found about 60 recently deceased and dying sheep in a severely emacitated condition with other sheep on the property determined to be suffering from starvation. The farmer was given a 12-month suspended sentence, which the magistrate said was a relatively long suspension period under WA law and was required to ensure the producer understood the seriousness of the offence. Police in regional New South Wales have called for the use of dogs when hunting wild pigs to be made illegal. In a letter tabled to budget estimates this week, the Rural Crime Unit asked the state government to consider changing legislation to prohibit the use of hunting dogs to hunt animals, in particular feral pigs. The letter states some hunting dogs are exposed to significant injuries, claiming they are rarely received professional veterinary treatment and says the practice has little or no impact on feral pig numbers compared to aerial culls. Animal Justice MLC Emma Hurst says she wants the practice to be made illegal under the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. Essentially, in pig dog hunting, um, dogs are trained and then set on pigs Um, I've seen footage of pigs being absolutely torn apart before um, the hunter steps in and and stabs or cuts the throat of the pig. Um, Now, what the police are calling for, and some of the police that we've spoken to as well, um, are talking about the fact that, you know, if we actually had it specifically in the legislation that pig dogging itself was an illegal act, um, then it would be much more clear for any prosecutions to take place. The national president of the Australian Pig, Dog and Hunters Association, Ned Makem, says he's confused by the letter and doesn't think more changes are needed to the legislation, just a licensing scheme for all pig hunters. We don't understand how banning something that's already banned, illegal hunting, is already banned and the police say they can't control it. Um, well, that's how I read it. That they just So their solution then is to bring in more bans. One of the solutions would be regulation of pig hunting with dogs uh, through a licensing system or an expansion of the restricted game hunting licence system in New South Wales. We suggested that for New South Wales, for Queensland, for Victoria, for the ACT. And that's Rural News for this Monday. Thanks very much for that, Emma. Emma Field there with Rural News. A couple of texts coming in. Andrew, very funny. Thank you very much for that. I probably can't describe that, so we'll leave it there. This one says, uh, what's happening in Western Victoria with the fires is tragic. Six homes lost. Lots of people displaced. I'm just driving through Merboo North as well at the moment. The state and media mustn't forget we're around 50 houses lost Uh and, you know, people who have lost their lives as well, driving past some of these houses and looking at the devastation, it must have been absolutely terrifying. We've certainly had our share of wild weather this February, and it's not going away at all. Is it anonymous texter? Because we've got an important day to look out for later this week too. Brian McPherson is a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology and can take us through that forecast, not only what's happening today, but for the rest of the week as well. Hi, Brian. Hi, Warwick. Uh, how's it looking, I suppose, first of all, to today as fire authorities continue their work on those fires in central Victoria? Yeah, look, today uh, is uh, quite a handy, cooler day um, across the state uh, after that change came through later yesterday. So temperatures relatively um, relatively low across the state in these southerly winds. Uh, we do have uh, a little bit of cloud in the south. Most of it's cleared off through central and um Western parts of the south and just a little bit hanging around Gippsland now. Um, there's been the odd little 
sprinkle here and there in the south this morning, but most of that's easing off and uh, otherwise we've got a sunny and mild afternoon ahead of us. Uh, though, uh, as you mentioned, things do uh, ramp up a bit more um, severe weather and fire weather-wise into the middle of the week. So tomorrow we'll start to see those winds shift warmer northerly across the state. Um, not getting uh, too windy, at least, tomorrow, um, but definitely warming up. Uh, so temperatures uh, getting into sort of the mid to high 30s in the north um, and then sort of around the, the high 20s in the low 30s in the south of the state tomorrow. Uh, and then the real... Um, the real worry is around the weather on Wednesday. Uh, we have another change coming through later in the day on Wednesday. Um, and so ahead of that, we'll have some fairly fresh and gusty northerly winds uh, across much of the state, um, but particularly about elevated areas, um, including that Ballarat area, um, through the western and central parts on Wednesday morning. Uh, sorry, Wednesday during the day on Wednesday. Um, and there is also the risk of some thunderstorms, um, possibly severe thunderstorms with damaging wind gusts. Uh, and there is that risk of that parts of um, Gippsland and the east central um, parts of Victoria that, are, that were affected by some terrible storms a couple of weeks ago, um, getting the odd storm through there that, that's um, severe as well. Uh, but, yeah, it will be all eyes on the fire danger. At this stage, we have extreme fire danger ratings for all of the western and central districts. Um, so, so extreme at this stage yeah. for Wednesday, not catastrophic extreme, yeah? At this stage, yep. uh, look, our fire, day, our fire weather forecasts get updated um, later in the day. Yep. The day. Uh, and, look, we're seeing the wind in the previous forecast, so they're probably a little bit stronger in the next forecast, um, and the CFA has sent through a, uh, a new curing update, which is the dryness um, of the, the fuels. Um, it'll be factored into the next update as well. So, yeah, we might see, um, even without the updates, we're seeing the numbers getting up sort of the higher end of, of extreme um, through the Wimmera particularly. So there is, a, there is a chance that the Wimmera in particular might end up in catastrophic again on Wednesday. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a significant fire weather day, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, And is there a particular, obviously across the day is a, a major concern, the warnings cover that, but is there a particular part of the day that uh, people should be vigilant for? Oh, look, all of the day. Um, the change is coming through quite late. Uh, so those, quite often when we get these northerlies, we, it's this might can be sort of uh, in the morning and then sort of into the, the early part of the day with the wind, but it might be a little bit later in the day than we've experienced recently, so those stronger northerly winds. Um, but it, there's also the chance of any fire that does get going. The atmospheric conditions um, on Wednesday, we're expecting enough instability in the atmosphere for um, fires that do get going. They, they'll have the ability to um, kind of generate their own weather. Uh, so... Get a, a much stronger updraft because there's that extra instability in the um, in the air on on Wednesday, and they can generate their own thunderstorms and clouds above them. You've probably seen, and people um, would have seen uh, that smoke stretching quite a long way uh, from those those fires over Western Victoria. Um, 
so we can get that situation happening again on Wednesday as well. So that that makes the fires uh, extra hard to to control um, and to fight, unfortunately. And, and do things start to improve on Thursday? What's it look like then? Yeah, they do. So uh, once that change goes through uh, during um, mostly through Wednesday evening and Wednesday night, uh, we are in relatively lighter winds over most of the most of the state. Um, Maybe still a bit windy in the in the east um, on a Thursday morning, but relatively lighter winds. Um, the instability, you know, much decreased compared to the Wednesday. Uh, so it'll make fighting any fires that do form on the Wednesday a bit easier on the Thursday and Friday. And uh, I suppose warnings wise, is there anything we need to be aware of right now, or is it all fairly quiet in the lead up to that Wednesday? Yeah, look, it's all fairly quiet right at the moment. Uh, just a fairly standard uh, stormy morning for the East Gippsland coast um, and tomorrow you'll probably won't see too much in the way of warnings either. Um, parts of the northeast probably in a low intensity heat wave for the middle of the week just with um, the temperature not really flushing out as much with this um, with the change coming through later in the week but not warning worthy at this point um, and yeah we'll keep an eye out tomorrow afternoon as we get a bit closer to Wednesday and we start to issue some warnings then. Great info. Thanks very much for that, Bri. Not a problem. Bri McPherson there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, speaking to you there with a full weather update. A couple of texts coming in on the line, 0467 842 Hi to Doug from Bungate. Great to hear from you, Doug. Um, he says, we had a fire through our place in December 2014 and still had stump flare-ups till the following June. So it's like seven months of that, isn't it? Even with normal autumn rain, says Doug. And on the issue of that, uh, how long trees keep burning for and falling trees on fire grounds, Tom at Winslow says, hi, we're re-falling trees. I was part of a CFA team of volunteers blacking out a fire ground just off the stall Halls Gap Road a few years ago. I remember we were driving along in the truck. For some reason, I looked over my shoulder and there was a large tree lying in a cloud of dust across the track we'd just driven down. We didn't hear a thing thanks to the noise from the pump engine. And I've often wondered just how much we missed it by Tom. I'd be thinking about that for the rest of my life as well. Thank you very much for sending that through. It is important information for people to hear. You're listening to The Country Hour. It is 18 to 1. Let's step away from the fire ground and the disasters at the moment and head into the Victorian Farmers Federation Grains Conference. It's going on in Horsham. We've sent Angus Verley along to get all the latest from the ground. An interesting time for the VFF at the moment, given the internal battles within that organisation and then the abandoned vote uh, to change the constitution that we were reporting on last week. So is everyone friendly in the Grains Conference? I don't know. Maybe Angus can tell us. Uh, G'day, Angus. What's going on? Yeah, g'day Warwick, I am here at the Horsham Golf Club actually, so just down the road for me today instead of the usual uh, road trip at, at the VFF Grains Group Conference. Conference is still going on so we've just snuck down the back uh, to talk about what's happening and I suppose this conference comes at a time that's been, uh, we've had a fairly prosperous, prosperous period for grain growers, several good seasons in a row but nonetheless there are quite a few issues that are being discussed today. Uh, and I'll run through some of those. I'm joined now by Craig Henderson, who's a, a Wimmera farmer and uh, president of the Grains Group. G'day, Craig. G'day, Angus. Good to be here. Craig, just um, give me a snapshot of some of the issues that have come up today and are, and are on the agenda of the Sarbo. Uh, some of them we've gone through already is uh, maintain 
uh, markets access through sustainability, uh, right to repair was a, a, a very big one with Leanne Wiseman. Uh, we're, they're currently talking about the road and road networks and bridges net with Ian Mott and Annabelle. And then finally, we'll uh, later on the afternoon, we'll have uh, a market update by the NAB, um, Nathan Smith and Jeremy White, uh, followed by a AR or artificial intelligence type section towards the end of the evening. Besides resolutions. I note too, sitting down at uh, the tables this morning, there was a memo on each of the tables just with some information around some of the, the native title uh, agreement work that's happening at the moment and, and farmers concerned about what those agreements might mean for what they can and can't do on their farms? Yes, this is going to be a, a major issue coming forward. Uh, it's currently being negotiated with local councils. It's been placed in the hands of local councils and I urge farmers to uh, find out what's going on with this because it could become a, a very major issue down the track. As you said right now, that the session that we've just snuck out of is, is all about freight and uh, as was brought up in that session, you, you don't need to go back too far when, when B-doubles were, were a novelty on the road, but, but now it's, it's all about bigger trucks, isn't it? Road trains, essentially. That's right, especially that the rail system is not as good as it probably should be. As I think they were saying at uh, 1995 there was two um, B-doubles, large mass trucks then. Uh, now there's something like 3,500 and talking of about going from just a standard semi to uh, about 116 tonne. And you mentioned the road network there. I think if I had to pick one subject that's getting the most attention, well, at least during the morning break chatter, it's, well, I think fair to say the abysmal state of the, the, the road network. Yes, it's, uh, it's been deteriorating and it's interesting to see the statistics on the fuel excise tax uh, is only 60% going back to roads and sometimes we wonder why our roads are falling to pieces as more and more heavy vehicles on the road but a less percentage of that tax is going back into the roads. Uh, transmission lines as well, that's that's on the agenda and I think there'll be a motion put on the table and I'm going to predict probably moved uh, overwhelmingly uh, opposing some of these transmission line projects uh, across people's farms so I guess there's, there's, there's various things there isn't there, there's renewable energy projects, transmission lines and uh, mining as well, the mineral sands mines that we're, we're seeing proposed around Horsham. Yeah, all these things are, are coming at us uh, as farm, farming communities. It's a matter of how we work through these issues and balance out the uh, access and agriculture as well as the uh, having, um, I suppose, access to the power and, and that for the future for this state. So there's a balancing act and it's, it's a matter of working through fair compensation uh, for all. As I said at the outset, Craig, we've just run through a few big uh, challenges for farmers, but, but in terms of actual grain production, it's been pretty good times recently. Especially in the Wimmera uh, Mallee for the last five years, it's been probably exceptionally good run, uh, even though the rainfall was a bit lower last year, but the subsoil moisture carried it through for a, a good year, maybe a little bit wetter in the south, but in general, it's a, in my opinion, in my time, it's about as good as it gets. Of course there is a big elephant in the room here today, or not in the room, is that uh, the President and the Chief Executive of the organisation aren't here. Uh, of course uh, the VFF held its AGM last week, there were 
numerous efforts by members to move motions of no confidence in the VFF board, that they were uh, shut down under the constitution, but were the president and chief executive meant to be here and why aren't they? Originally, uh, Emma was on the agenda to come. I haven't heard why she's not here. Brendan was going to be speaking uh, at one stage and uh, then he became too busy to come up here. Uh, we've had this organised since September, um, so I don't know what's cropped up. I suppose it must be very important because these are important things on the VFF calendar to uh, meet and greet with the members. And this stoush uh, or infighting at the VFF, really, it was triggered in some part by the, the VFF board's decision to, to liquidate the, the uh, chair portfolio that the Grains Group said uh, belonged to them and it's really been Grains Group members driving the push uh, to remove Emma Germano ever since. Uh, where to from here and, and is the prospect of following dairy and, and leaving and forming your own organisation on the table? As I've said in the past, um, everything's on the table. Uh, we keep moving forward. We're trying to um, move with a positive um, you know, mind on, on this. It's, uh, it has been extremely difficult. Lack of staffing. We haven't had a full-time staff now for quite some time. We used to have two. We used to get some great output. Uh, but the VFF is really important to agriculture in this state. And uh, the external things are continuing on. Um, it's not about one person. This is about an organisation from the ground up and that's what we're really trying to protect and move forward. We have cross-commodity presidents here today from dairy, egg, livestock, which is fantastic to see here supporting, supporting us. So that as far as presidents go, there's probably 80% of the members are represented here today, which is fantastic. Just finally, Craig, on a really, really sad note, we, we heard this morning from a very emotional former Grains Group president, Ross Johns, who spoke about his great mate, uh, Mick Morecambe, fellow farmer in the Wimmera, who was killed on Friday in a, in a tragic farm accident. Uh, that's sort of cast a shadow over the whole conference, hasn't it? And is clearly weighing, weighing heavily on a lot of people. Yes, uh, it was. It was absolute tragedy and a good supporter of the VFF. Mick was a great bloke, and that's not saying that because uh, he's passed. It, he genuinely was a great bloke. When I moved back into the district, always made sure you were right when you're out and things like that. And it just goes, we must take care. We must be safe. We're overrepresented in these sort of incidents, and, and a bit of luck will one day we'll be underrepresented. Um, but, yeah, absolute tragedy. Thanks, Craig. Thank you. Thanks, Angus. Warwick, I've taken up enough of your time, but that was Craig Henderson there at the at the VFF Grains Group conference, uh, which I'm at today. And yeah, finishing on that awfully sad note about the, the tragic loss of a farmer in an accident on Friday. One of the most deadly workplaces in Australia, farming, and uh, yeah, it is always sad to hear news like that. Thank you, Angus Angus Verley in Horsham at the Golf Club for the uh, VFF Grains Conference, which is continuing, and he'll have plenty more stories to bring you from there. Hey, just quickly before we head to markets, authorities have placed a sudden ban on all fishing along a section of South Australia's southeast coast after a fatal abalone disease was found there over the weekend. It's the first time this particular virus, viral ganglioneuritis, or AVG, has been detected in South Australia. 
We know about it, though, because there's been a few outbreaks over recent years in Victoria around the Portland area. South Australia's Chief Veterinary Officer, Dr Elisa Spark, explained how the disease strikes abalone and what it means in South Australia. We haven't been able to get in, in the water so far to do surveillance. We're hoping to be able to, weather permitting, um, get out there tomorrow in order to determine exactly where we have a problem. We may just have a problem at Break Sea Reef or the disease may be more widespread or may be spreading and that's really the, the reason for this control zone. It's to, until we know more and until we know just how widespread this disease may be, the control area is in place to stop the potential spread of this really nasty disease through human activity, so fishing activity. How many samples of dead or dying or diseased abalone have you been able to collect so far? I understand it was an an abalone diver who first alerted this? That's right. So it was uh, first um, alerted to Persa through an abalone um, fisher and I would really like to commend them for doing the right thing and reporting these suspicious deaths immediately to us and that's really what's enabled us to promptly detect the disease um, and respond appropriately. So um, we only need to get a detection in the samples that were submitted um, to confirm the disease uh, and so we have testing uh, through 30 samples that were confirmed um, through our, our reference confirmatory lab um, in Geelong. So now that control area has been set up, what does this mean? What can't be done within that area? Yeah, so look, the easiest way to to let people know what they can and can't do is that all fishing activity is currently prohibited. So um, in your introduction, is listed a few of those things, but it's it's really all fishing. So fishing from the shore, fishing from a boat, that applies to commercial fishes, to recreational fishes. It's using fishing equipment, um, nets, bait traps, any fishing equipment for abalone. So it's not just about abalone and rock lobsters and and those species. It's it's all fishing in that area for now until we have more information to inform uh, what we need to do moving forward. And we've never seen this in abalone in South Australia before? That's right. We've never detected um, this virus in abalone and we have done surveillance and we also um, investigate any reports of dead and dying abalone um, in waters across all of South Australia and every time we investigate those incidents of dead and dying abalone, we always rule out this particular virus so it's never been detected in the state before. That is South Australia's Chief Veterinary Officer, Dr Elisa Spark, uh, speaking there about the discovery of gangliosis now in South Australia. We'll have to see what that means for Victoria's uh, outbreaks uh, on the country area in the coming week or so. Let's head to livestock markets though and find out what prices have been doing there first. Let's start with the cattle markets today. We'll go to Wagga Wagga first and Leanne Dax. Good afternoon. Wagga saw a rise in prices with 4,220 cattle offered. Quality of the stock also showed improvement compared to last week, providing feedlots and restockers with a good selection of well-bred weaners and yearlings. Heavy export cattle were well supplied. It increased by 10 cents with bullocks selling from 285 to 310. Heavy feeder steers were up by 5 to 10 cents, while heavy heifers saw an increase, topping at 290. Medium weight feeder steers sold at similar trends ranging from 290 to 350 while lighter weights are up by 10 cents making from $3 to 3.90. Feeder heifers experienced a jump of 30 cents selling at 290 to 325. Trade heifers were 
only a few so far, selling at 290 to 310. Heavy cows gained 10 cents, selling from 245 to 265, while the lighter weight cows range from 210 to 240. There's been plenty of interest from restockers, with the lighter weight selling at $3 to 432. I'm Leanne Dax for MLA. Thanks, Leanne. Let's go to Pakenham and Brendan Fletcher. G'day, Warwick numbers decreased to 740, that's 350 fewer, with a domestic buyer rejoining the regular buying group after a long absence in a dearer market. Quality improved in the grown and there were fewer trade. Most trade cattle sold 10 to 20 dearer, up to 40 cents in places. Grown steers and bullocks gained 10 to 20. Manufacturing steers lifted 10 to 15. Cows sold up to 10 cents dearer. More on some isolated sales with processors loading cows for an estimated 377 to 492 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Heavy bulls improved slightly. Vealers sold from 275 to 386. Yearling trade steers 330 to 375. The heifer portion 285 to 396. Ground steers 310 to 338. Bullocks 285 to 320. Heavy Frisian manufacturing steers 220 to 268. Crossbreds 244 to 312. Most light and medium weight cows, 130 to 218. Heavyweights, 180 to 258. Heavy bulls, 226 to 282. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Brendan. Lucky last in the cattle run is Chris Agnew at Mortlake. Thanks, Warwick. Numbers increased this week to 1,406 at Mortlake, a slight increase of 116 ed. It was a good offering over all categories for the top end. However, it did fall away to a larger tail on last week's offering. The market was stronger over most categories. Bullocks gained 15 to 20 cents. The good veal is stronger by 30 to 40 cents and trade steers and heifers dearer by 20. The good well-covered cows remained firm. However, the medium to light weights came back 8 cents and bulls gained 15 cents this week. All secondary cattle were 30 cents a kilo stronger. This week, the offering of veal is made between 252 and 380. Trade steers and heifers making between 285 and 346. Grown cattle topped out at 326 cents and the manufacturing steers Sold up to 240 cents. The heavy beef cows making between 220 and 260. Medium weights, 165 to 210. And the dairy cows generally making between 165 and 230 cents. At Bolt Lake, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. Lucky last is the sheep market report out of Bendigo. To find out how sheep and lambs have been selling, let's go to Jenny Kelly. Good afternoon. Start with the positive for farmers. Sheep numbers doubled to 5,300 head and the market was dearer with gains of 30 to $40 common. Trade and light sheep selling the best. Heavy sheep 93 to a top of $128 with the main heavy mutton categories averaging over 300 cents a kilo today. Then the good trade sheep pushed up to between 67 to $97 for a ballpark average of 350 cents to processors but with some pens pushing towards four bucks at times. Plain a lamb yarding of 12,700 head with less polish and weight on offer. Prices overall were just similar to softer than a week ago with some big name exporters not operating and most buyers fairly reserved. Export lambs over 30 kilos, 192 to a top of 223 and had some flat spots at 590 to 650 cents. Heavy 26 to 30 kilo lambs, 162 to 189. Heavy trades, 153 to 163. Still a lot of these lambs from 600 to 650 cents. Most decent light lambs, 70 to 120 in mixed results. Jenny Kelly for MLA. Thanks, Jenny. Just before we let you go on the country, this from Tim in Pigeon Ponds. Absolutely insane, the ignorance in logistic efficiency in agriculture. We had better infrastructure 100 years ago. Progress, I think not. Long-term investment and planning is needed. 
That's a good final word there from Tim. So we'll leave it at that. We'll catch you again on the Country Hour tomorrow. Hope you can join us.